0: Well, welcome back, everybody. My name is Lena Evajemra, and you're listening to the Living with Power Hope Podcast. Today is Thursday. It's because you're listening to this. You know, we launch these on Thursdays, and we're so excited you're back, whether it's your first time here. Welcome. If you're new to this uh, podcast, maybe because you came across my new book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. If that's you and you're here because of that, thank you for buying the book. But also, thank you for checking in. Thank you for opening yourself to what God might be doing in your life, and if you have been here forever and ever, I'm talking to my mom here now, thank you guys, thank you mom, and uh, uh, man, we love seeing how God is uh, just changing and growing this ministry and bringing in people who are hungry for more of Him. Uh, if you don't know God and you're here on a search, then we welcome you too. We're here to offer biblical truth for everyday life, uh, we do it through stories, and right now we're focused on uh, some of the topics related to the book I wrote, and we've been in I've been interviewing people on Thursdays. Um, Remember that on Thursday nights, I'm doing a live book club on Facebook. You can find it at the Living with Power Facebook page. So that's a chance for you to to, to have a a live conversation with me about your reactions to the book. Uh, But here on Thursdays, we've been running conversations with people who have walked down some path of deconstruction or have been critical in uh, bringing out stories of abuse and abuse of power. And that's my guest today. I want to tell you more about Julie Royce. Her name has become familiar with. Uh, crazy investigative reports, reports that uh, frazzle some people and and make others sit at the edge of their seat and, and really reports that sadly should not be in the local church but are, or in the Christian community, but are have become a common part of it. So you're going to hear from Julie in a minute, but let me just tell you a little bit about her. Julie uh, is actually a, an investigative journalist. She's founded The Royce Report. She has a regular uh, podcast that you can listen to. You can follow her on Twitter and get those. I, I'm always up to date on what she uh, has written. And uh, of course, she was a critical voice in the unfolding of uh, some of the uh, big cases of, of abuse that have been um, common in the last few years, including the one that I was a part of, that the the Harvest Bible Chapel debacle, and uh, later on uh, did uh, an expose about the Ravi Zacharias ministry and Willow Creek, you know, just a lot of very well known. Uh, cases and for that she's either deeply loved or deeply hated. And Julie, you're used to that. that was extreme. That. <laughs> and, um, and there you are, by the way. She is um, a graduate of Wheaton College and she has a master's degree from journalism from the middle School of Journalism at Northwestern University. So some high credentials there. You're an author. You've written a book that came out in 2017 uh, called uh, "Redeeming the Feminine Soul." Um, you are a, a woman who has put in her time and continues to work hard at coming down to the truth and and making it known. And so I appreciate your work. I'm going to talk about my connection with you in a minute, but just so good to have
1: you here. Oh, thank you, Lena. And I just had to chuckle uh, when you said either either hated for what I do or loved one or the other. And I've I've often said that there's no middle ground. It it seems like uh, either people hate what I do or, yeah. or they really embrace and love it, but you're they're like
0: an ER doctor. You love what happens the ER; they hate it, and if they hate it, they let everybody know. The lovers, yeah. you don't always say anything, but it's true. It is true. <laughs> they're extremes, and and you know, it's it's it's. I don't think it's always fair. Those those extreme reactions, and one can get into in a minute why that is, but. Uh, let me let me sort of um just kind of make this a little bit more personal i mean you and i have an interesting story we worked at the same mm. we had a spot at the same radio station and we met there and i remember at the time having a nice dinner with you and talking about life and god and faith and not mm. like after that you left uh, uh that station and uh and then a few years later, after I had, so my book, Fractured Faith, is about leaving my church and the pain that went along with that. And so it was a few years, maybe a couple of years after that, that um, you became involved in the what eventually became the article that set things in faster motion. There were already people working on the blog, uh, The Elephant's Debt, I think at the time, and, and a lot of material was out there for the public to see. But you sort of brought it all together and raised it up a notch with some serious journalism and um, eventually led to the disqualifying of the pastor of that church. And uh, it was then when that happened that I finally felt seen. And and, uh, I I felt like it was the first time where I realized, okay, I'm not crazy. And that sense of vindication that so many people that go through difficult seasons feel uh, came as a result of that article that day. I remember I was and it, this, I knew exactly where I was sitting when that happened. Mm. I was with a friend and I showed it to her. And then I showed it to a very well-known speaker that happened to be speaking at this event. I sent it to her and I said, hmm, what do you say now? And and I remember just feeling sort of the sense of, wow, God really is acting when you don't see him mm. acting. Mm.
1: And then and the, you're, t- you're talking about that initial World that Magazine initial World article. World
0: Magazine article, that was something. That honestly, that was like, I think to this day, I think that was the breaking point in our church. That magazine, where things sort of started the the, the process of the, dis, the the disqualifying of of the pastor at that time, and and yeah. it was it was a it was the end of an era at the an end of sort of where people finally woke up to the fact there were still people who believed know, everything was fine in the church, and it was sort of the change of pace and. And I think many people are very grateful for the work that you did because there were many people who had made decisions for uh, truth and and being led by the Spirit who for a long time looked like they were bad apples, like they were whiners, that they were, you know, um, division seekers in the church. And I think if you're in a a biblical church, the worst insult one can put upon you is that you are seeking division. Isn't that the truth? and and that's gaslighting often right i mean i think we can we can see that now but in the moment when you hear that it's very destructive to a person who's trying to act in obedience to god so thank you and just mm. to the tail end of that then you asked me to speak at a conference and maybe a few years later and i did not want to speak it was only 10 minutes so i said yes because i thought what how hard can it be and you know if you uh, have done 10 minute talks that they're harder to put together than a 40 minute talk you have to really be concise and I think mm-hmm. that talk, the Restore Conference, was the first time that now I felt freedom. It was post the disqualification of, of the leadership team at that point. So I felt more of a freedom to verbalize what I had been experiencing for the past six years. And I remember, and I think you remember that talk being so emotional and connected with so many people. And so oh, yeah. thank you for pressing me to do it uh, or inviting yeah. me to do it. You didn't press me to do it, but, but the opportunity to push through what had Still been unnamed, like those feelings that were in my heart, that eventually, honestly, led to the path for healing, and now the the book, Fractured Faith. Mm.
1: Wow, I, I have to say, Lena, that that talk that you did—I I don't know anybody who didn't kind of have their who wasn't choked up or kind of their <laughs> heart in their throat, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it was it was a powerful talk. It's still at my website, um, yeah. Julie Roy's R O Y S dot com. I mean that. That was just, I think you gave expression when you talked about what happened at Harvest and what James McDonald had done, how it felt like a hit and run accident. Yeah. And how he just, you know, and that's what he did. The minute he was exposed, he, you know, went off to Naples, left the church. Um, and kind of went into hiding. Now he's back, you know, calling me a gossip whore and all sorts of yeah, things yeah. on Twitter. You know, it's um, interesting,
0: but but because listen, it wasn't. I mean, the story of fractured faith isn't just a story of someone leaving their church, right? I mean, that I mean that happens to people. Like people leave their church, but what we're yeah. seeing and the reports that you've been working on, it's bigger than that. Uh, hmm. You know, it's and so so talk to that a little bit. I mean, I mean, it wasn't just that a couple of people were upset with the leadership and left. mm Hmm. It was deeper. It's systemic. It's, it's something that's happening even in our culture. Like talk, even from your experience as a woman who's doing work among not just Harvest Bible Chapel, but you've done Mm -hmm. the spectrum of other uh, places. There's a theme happening in Christianity. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I should say that Harvest Bible Chapel investigation was one of the most, um, I could say spirit led investigations that I've ever done. There were over 20 people that went on the record, and I remember getting together with—I'm um, trying to think—it was like 20 to 30 people in Dave Corning's living room. Dave Corning was the former um, elder chairman of the elder board at Harvest for like over 20 years, and getting together before anything came, came out and praying that God would use the revelation of the truth that, that James would, you know, be repentant, but if not, that that things would would be in motion that needed to be in motion. And, and now a lot of that's history. And and that first World Magazine article, that was the first article of then I published and my website. I mean, there's been dozens of articles mm-hmm. that it took and and the bravery of those people to, to come forward because here's the thing as a whistleblower. In fact, I, I just published an article on, um, and it was from a, a, a guest, uh, author who's a a president at a reformed seminary it was really surprising hearing this from someone of that stature because a lot of people might admire what i do from afar but to actually say that mm. they do and <laughs> put their name on it but he you know he talked about this is not this is not gossip but if you come out as a whistleblower you will get labeled as a gossiper mm. and but i think what we're seeing on the heels of the me too movement of women coming forward who were abused and finally being believed. There is, I think, an emboldening uh, of the vulnerable, of the victims, of saying, I'm going to speak, and I finally trust that people might listen to me. But I have to say, a lot of the people that go on the record and tell me these stories do so at harm to themselves, you know? I mean, they're putting themselves at risk. And so it takes a lot of courage, and I say, I would say for for a very long time, our church and I think I still would say one of the most critically needed uh, character qualities in the church right now is courage. Um, but we're finally seeing people come forward and begin to speak. and And it's funny people people often ask me, they're like, "What's happening in evangelicalism?" I mean, you know, there was the Moody thing, there was uh, then Harvest, then you know, Ravi Zacharias, and but there's I mean, there's just been a whole host yeah. of scandals. And people are saying, what on earth is is going on? And is something new happening? And I don't think it's it's new. I mean, what was happening at Harvest had been happening for decades. What's happening that's new is that it's being revealed. That's and true. and what people need to realize, and I've, I've been saying this for a while, and, and I know people are, want to believe it's not this bad, but it really is this bad. That there is an evangelical industrial complex or celebrity machine where everybody is endorsing each other's books and speaking at their conferences and um, you know getting getting the the deals that they want. They're scratching each other's backs, right? Mm-hmm. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with doing that when you're actually promoting something you believe in. But what's happened is it's become this network of covering each other's sins instead of ho- holding each other accountable. And that's where the whole thing's become very perverse. There's so much money involved, so, so much money. And again, if you're, a, if you're a charity that is a secular charity, you have to file 990s and make everything disclosed and be very transparent. However, if you're a church, you don't have to disclose anything. And so I don't think our founding fathers, when they, when they set that up, ever envisioned that there would be churches with tens of millions of dollars in their budget. And that that might be kept secret from the very people that are giving money to it, but it has set up a system where there is just an incredible amount of corruption, an incredible amount of sin going on, and there's a very few of us who are calling it out. And and I, I tell you, Lena, I'm this is the tip of the iceberg. I turn down stories, I, I turn <clears> down <throat> way more stories than I ever report. I can't possibly report on everything that's coming to me right now. It's it's sad.
0: That's it that is horrible. And I mean, I think you think about it like from a spiritual perspective, how has God put up with it for so long?
1: Mm. Boy, I, I don't know. and And God is very patient. I mean, we see that all throughout scripture, right? I mean, even with the people of Israel, he gave them time and time and time and time again, chances mm. to turn and they didn't. And I remember... Uh, James McDonald, for example, so many people saying to me, he has been given every opportunity for grace. Mm. Time and time again, the, the, the elders would try to get him counseling, would try you know, to do something to manage what was an absolutely narcissistic personality and, and very self-centered and angry person. But he was given all those opportunities to repent and he, he didn't take advantage of them. And so um, how God is that patient? I don't know. But, um, speaking of the conference, which by the way, we have another one coming up in May, 2022, and you're going to be speaking. I can't, I'm, I'm so excited because the first one in 2019 was so powerful. And I know so many people have wanted to do, uh, a or reprise of that conference and it's like, well, we had COVID, but <laughs> now we can mm-hmm. do it again. But, um, but again, it, it's, it's a time where I think God his his bowl of wrath is full. Yeah, it's he's, I I just get that sense with everything coming forward. This is not um, because of anything I've done. It's not anything. I mean, I could possibly, I couldn't possibly orchestrate all the people that are coming forward with stories right now. That is a move of God. I think the entire thing is a move of God. And, and we know, I mean, that's, that's what he does, his, his own people. And this is what, what, Really, before I I started down this road, I remember my my pastor was preaching on the prophets for a summer. And I remember it just struck me that if God's own people, the people of Israel, the people that he loved, the people he rescued from the Egyptians, right, that he called by his own name. If his own people, if he didn't spare them public humiliation and carrying off into Babylon, Mm -hmm. why should we think that he's going to spare evangelicals and Christian leaders who are misusing his name and, and doing such awful things, why should we think he would spare them? And why would we want him to? And so, I mean, yeah, I, as you said at the beginning, like a lot of people don't like what I, what I do because they feel like I'm embarrassing Christianity. I'm not embarrassing it. The people who are doing these wrong things are embarrassing it. All I'm doing is exactly what Ephesians 5, 11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Or First Timothy five twenty, something that's hardly ever preached in the church, but it says very clearly, but to those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. And I know right now people are taking warning. I hear it. Like people <laughs> will joke and they'll send me, you know, or they'll tell me, or they'll send me email saying, yeah, you know. We, I was talking with Pastor so and so, and he said, "Well, I just don't want to get on the Roy's report, you know." And um, (laughs) and and so I'm like, I mean, that's not what I set out to do, you know, per se. But but it's it's good. It is good if there is a healthy fear of wrongdoing and of if you do wrong, it may be exposed. I think that's a good thing.
0: Well, and the tragedy in these stories, at the end of the day, I mean, there's there's a couple of tragedies. One is the victims, right? I mean, you think about. Well, particularly, like I think you had recently, didn't you have on on your report Ruth Malhotra, who was at the uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministry for a longest time? I mean, she she went through hell, and there are others. Mm. There was um, the suit. Uh, what was the name of the first woman who spoke out against Ravi Zacharias? She was on on. Laurean Thompson. Yes, Lorianne Thompson. Yeah. And I mean, the pain that these women have had to endure, so there's abused, right? I mean, there's the person who, there's many others, by the way, there's a huge number of examples. Uh, Sadly, someone in very well-known denominations, Southern Baptist Convention has had a sleuth of women who have kind of walked that path. And so there's that tragedy of the actual person who's a victim in this, which it it does, it seems like one of the chapters in my book is, is, why is God not fair? Like, where is the fairness in this? Like, it seems wrong to me, like in the, the hands of, I mean, there's layers to how bad that is, right? Especially Mm -hmm. when the stories turn out to be true. Like for a while, we just malign those people. And then later, everybody's going, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't believe it. But it's horrible in the moment. And again, as you said, many have changed their thoughts about that so that there's been more support to victims, but still not enough, not enough. I mean, I'm listening to some of the work the, the conversations online, the podcasts that are being done about, about uh, of course, the, now the follow-up of the Mars Hill scandal, the Liberty University. Every, I, mean, the, I mean, it's is sick. And so there's the victims, which is a tragedy. But then the other tragedy, which is sort of like where I was for a while, which is this land of deconstruction, which is, you know, what messed with me was, was like going back to the idea, like why doesn't God do anything? Like you know that he's patient with the person who's causing the havoc. But on the other hand, Uh, Many, and, and we hear about people who were committed believers, you know, Josh Harris is a prime example of, of a person mm-hmm. who was in a very corrupt sort of leadership system in his church and of hiding abuse and now doesn't even claim to be a Christian, though he was you know, integral in the leadership structure. But I think by the time he woke up and said, oh, something's wrong here, he ended up being, I'm a Christian now. And mm-hmm. so how long that will go, I don't know whether he'll come back to the Lord or not. I, I don't even think he necessarily has an interest in it in coming back. But, but I, and so I don't want to you know, kind of put on him any kind of um, intent <laughs> that's not there. But all this to say, so this phenomenon of deconstruction, which is sort of what I talk about in my book, that grows out of being in a corrupt system, to me, that's a second tragedy. And so how many lives now, no longer like Christians who grew up in the church, maybe made a claim to be Christians now, they're like, and, and, and many of those people who have left the church now would say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, because they see this evangelical complex as not even part of what God would have. Where I, 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 I don't agree with that. I think that there is truth, and th- you know, many of those like people started well and went awry at some points. So I don't think everything is bad in those settings, but I think it's given an excuse for people who've deconstructed to go, well, of course, I'm no longer Christian because look at these guys. That's a lot for that leadership structure and celebrity pastor to carry, and yet you still sort of don't sense that there's a truth repentance among many, I mean, Bill Hybels is a classic example who left to this day. I don't think he acknowledges that he did anything wrong, unless I'm not up to date on the most recent Bill Hybels news.
1: No, I mean, as far as I know, Bill Hybels has gone completely underground. Uh, right. Like, I mean, you don't yeah. hear anything. Yeah, Bill so how do you,
0: what do you, you know, what do you tell the person who is, is, is like, like where I was, where I was for years. Now, I didn't go to the extreme of saying I'm not a Christian, but I was mad at God for a while. I felt betrayed by God where, I mean, and this is where I felt like you did such a big service to people like myself in that. And I was lucky to have a truly voice in a sense because it brought to fruition. I mean, for a while, the elephant that didn't really, you know, do a whole lot. It was, you know, just a gossip monger website that m- most people in leadership at my old church didn't bother to read because they thought it was these were people who were just being divisive, but then you come and you do that work. And now it's like, we have a voice And, and now like the pieces start crumbling of saying, geez, Louise, like I've been through hell and, and here, like, I'm not crazy. So how would you encourage maybe someone even now who might be in a system where they don't feel like they have the power to speak up and they might not have a big enough church to warrant a voice report, but how, how, you know, they may be stuck. How do you get them to either leave, wake up or speak up? How do you encourage them?
1: Well, I mean, this is something that's come home to me personally. Because, you know, for the longest time I was like, I I can do all of this, but as long as I have my home support, I'm okay, you know? And now the church that I was a part of, um, has its own sex abuse scandal Mm. and it came on the heels of, you know, there were, (laughs) I said to my husband, this is kind of strike three, uh, where we just didn't feel like we could, we could trust the leadership anymore. And so we're in that whole stage that I think a lot of people are in where we just feel homeless. Right. I mean, where do we go now? I mean, so, so we don't trust the church we were at. Right. Yeah. And, and we're trying to figure out, well, where do we go? I mean, for me, it hasn't so much been an anger at God. Um, I've, And I I just, I thank the Lord for this. I have this incredible heritage. Like Mm -hmm. my grandpa, you know, on my mother's side, he came to the Lord from an abusive alcoholic home, which saved his life and saved the life of, like, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the Lord. I'm sure of it. Um, God rescued him from, you know, that sort of horrific living situation. And, And there's just godly people on that side of my family, on my dad's side of the family. Like we can go back to the late 1700s when Johann Stern came here, you know, he was a a believer from Switzerland and came here and planted uh, Anabaptist churches in um, Pennsylvania. And I have so much godliness in my background and I've seen it lived out in my family, in my extended family, in, you know, generations prior to me. And so I know this is real. I know Jesus is real. I know he changes lives he changed my life like he delivered me from depression that i struggled with for like 4 years in college so i know he's real but i don't know what to do with his church right now cuz it's a mess mm. and and i know that part you know some people i, I know I, can, I wish i knew where this quote was from but it's like one of the you know founding fathers of the religion you know back from the 2nd or 3rd century i think said no man can have jesus as his or god as his father who does not have his church as his mother
0: yeah
1: And, you know, whether we like the church or not, this is our family, right? This is who we belong to. And and I think there's just a struggling to figure out, okay, who can I trust in the church? Like I, yeah. I'm I'm going to churches now, like I went to a church and we've been attending for a while and I just kind of like it because I can be anonymous, but it's kind of bigger. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? Am I insane? You know, and then we met with the pastor and he was wonderful. He actually read all my stuff and he's like, man, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be a mega church pastor. That's not what we're looking at. And um, he was so supportive. Like I remember at one point telling them, you know, you realize I'm a liability, right? <laughs> if, if I come to your church, I'm a liability and, and you will get called because it's happened like three times now when I'm reporting on somebody, they'll, they'll find out what church I go to and they'll call and they'll complain and want the church to like bring some sort of church discipline on me to shut me down. And, and I'm like, this is what will happen. Right. And, um, and, and he just, I mean, he was wonderful. He was like, you know, I just think you need a church. You need a church help. And it was very pastoral, and um, but but I've got to say, it's just hard for me. It's really hard for me um, because of what I've seen and what I've been through. It's hard to trust any church. It's hard to trust church leaders, um, and and there's certain ways that churches are set up, you know, where they don't want to reveal the salaries of the top money makers yeah. at the church. I hate to call them money makers. Okay, the top top and you know salary wage earners at the church, even though every Every secular nonprofit does that. And and they want us to give them, you know, I mean, if you're tithing, that's probably tens of thousands of dollars, you know, or I mean, it's a lot of money, yeah. you know, yeah. over the years. And yet they don't want to even tell us how much they're paying people, the top people. I mean, it, it's stuff like this where it's just really hard. And so, I mean, I'm in it, Lena. I mean, I love Jesus. And I love his people. I had somebody in my home home yesterday, this is amazing. So yesterday evening, they happened to drop by really strong believers. Um, we just love them to death. And, uh, she happened to notice that my, my stove was out because we <laughs> had this big spill yesterday and, and I'm like looking behind the stove and just like, dang, I don't want to deal with that. You know, <laughs> it's as dirty as I'll get out. She's like, oh, let me do it for you. I'm like, no, you can't do that for me. No, no, no. And she like insisted and got down on all fours and was cleaning, wow. you know, the back of my stove with me. I mean, I was just like, wow. you know, who does that? Who does that? I, I don't know. I don't think normal people do that. Christ followers do that. Yeah. You know, Christ followers do that. So, you know, Lena, I, I don't know what to say to people exactly, except I know you're pain. I know Jesus is real. I know he loves you. I know the church, you know, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so I believe that there's still a destiny for the church, but we are in a pruning period. And I don't think it's going to be like a year or two. I think it's going to be, you know, decades, decades. And I think we'll look back on this period of pruning. And I don't know what evangelicalism is going to look like 20 years from now, but it will look different and hopefully some of these structures that i think we've set up that have they only push in it's like they encourage people in the wrong direction and they reward people with the wrong character qualities hopefully some of those like the mega church movement will have reformed but you know it, it is in god's hands and all we can do is obey and walk this out step by step I just hope people that are going through this, like I am, I have to say, I am blessed by my Christian friends. And I do know, like, especially during COVID, like this strong desire to just hibernate, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know who hates me and who doesn't. So I just want to stay in my house. <laughs> and, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excuse me. You can watch it on Zoom now. So what does it matter? Right. I mean, it's right. Justify it. Yep.
1: And I have had to fight that. Yeah. I've had to fight that and say, why, no. Why do you
0: fight it? So, I mean, let's say, what about the people who would say, well, I am part of the church just because I don't go to a church. I'm part of the global church, right? I mean, we're part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you go to a local place. Do you like? You feel like they're going to get themselves in trouble if they continue on that path? Or is that valid? I mean, you know, why is the tro- local church so important to people or should be important?
1: Well, we're called you know do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but even more as a day of the lord approaching right i mean that's what well, scripture says i mean
0: to be the devil's advocate i've got these people now who yeah. say you know they've got their three christian friends and they're like yeah see we're meeting they're having dinner and wine and <laughs> whatever you know it's <laughs> like it's so there's a lot of like reinterpretation of it i mean I, I i don't disagree i think there's a clear biblical model for meetings of the local church and the local church structure but it is i mean it is an argument that you're seeing millennials and gen z's go towards more and more they're not mm-hmm. disclaiming necessarily Christ. They're certainly disclaiming mm-hmm. evangelicalism. Uh, you know, they're ex-evangelical. But also, even among evangelicals, I hear that sentiment of, well, I meet with my three gals. And they come over to my house. We talk about God and the Bible. That's my local church.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, part of me says, if that's where you're at right now mm-hmm. and that's all you can do, then do that. I, I'm. I'm not yeah. going to put judgment on yeah. you or tell you. You know, the, the church has to have biblical elders, and it has to have. You know, I know all those arguments. I could give them, yeah. but I also know emotionally what people have been through and yeah. how they're feeling. And you don't tell victims what their pace is going to have to be to healing. And so,
0: and, and you the, know, I and think the, the hypocrisy. I mean, you make up a good point because you go, well, you need. I mean, the, the premise of a local church is like church discipline, church structure. But when you've seen a corrupt structure. You can nice. appreciate why people are like, well, I'll, I love Christians, like, but I'm not putting myself under the authority of another corrupt structure. And so right. the very elders that were supposed to, I think that is the biggest sin of what we're seeing in terms of failure of, of leadership structures, is because they've become, in some ways, the enemy. It's sad. I mean, they're like the you know sheep or sheep and wolves or wolves in sheep's clothing. And so right. I think you know it, you're right. I mean, this is, this shows a lot. I love that you said that because I think. There's a part of your brain that wants to go to, well, you need to be part of a church. You need... But really, I mean, give them time because things have to change a little bit. You have to gain confidence. And then how many people are, in fact, showing up to church? They're still, quote unquote, part of the church because maybe they're still in a place where, you know, they're too Christian not to be. But really, mm-hmm. are we in the church? We show up, we leave. like. Yeah. If the minute a pastor, I mean, this has been my observation. I say this in every podcast, like the minute any of us are in a church structure now in 2021, where where somebody would come and tell us, hey, I, I think you're stepping out of line. You need to act differently. Most of us would like be like, oh, see you later. I'll find another church. <laughs> we don't trust that anymore, you know?
1: Well, and some of that's good. Yes. Some of that is good, and and some of that's necessary. That that people are Thank are you. saying, "I'm voting with my feet." If you're going to behave that way, if you're going to treat the sheep that way, <clears throat> I'm going to go. And so, I I think part of that is important and needs to happen. But but I think the people need to be more informed. The people need to hold churches accountable and they need to say, if you're not going to function in a healthy way, I'm I'm not going, I'm not going to join your church. How, I'm not going how to can they, it.
0: What are some practical ways, like even now you're looking for a new church, like what are the things you're looking for to give you the confidence that they're not corrupted?
1: Mm. And and let me just say one thing too, uh, and I'll answer that question, but I, I do want to just say that even though I don't push people, and I think all victims need to take their own pace, I think we also need to realize if we're passing on the faith to the next generation, that's going to be very hard to do without those, those rhythms and those spiritual disciplines that form character within people. And part of that is, you know, taking the sacraments regularly. Mm-hmm. It's listening to the the teaching of the word. It's having that regular fellowship. It's prayer together. We need those things. And so I'm not saying that those aren't important. I think they're critically important, especially for the passing on of the faith to the next generation. Um, They're important for each of us, for us to maintain our relationship with the Lord. But they're also very important for, and and we know God cares about that, about raising up godly children. And, And we've done an abysmal job of that you know, by and large in the American church. And I've, I've struggled you know, with that as well. It's, it's really hard, but I mean, that's important. It's so, so important that we do that. But I mean, some of the things I'd look for uh, in a church, one is leadership. Um, I would look at the elder board. Uh, if, if, unless the church is congregationally led, some, some churches still do that, which <laughs> maybe we should go back to that. Because to be congregationally led, where the congregation votes on everything, there is no, you know, representative government, so to speak. Um, The church would have to be small. All the people would have to be involved, and there's very, you know, it's just all transparent. It's all right there. I mean, maybe that is one of the reforms we should do: is go to smaller churches with congregational leadership. I don't know um, we've gone very much to an elder model in most of our churches. Some have gone to a Moses model, which is just scary. Like yeah. if you think you're Moses as a pastor, you're wrong. You're not. And I would never attend a church that has that model.
0: That's like a um, new Mark Driscoll church where you're just on your own.
1: Absolutely. But the Calvary churches had that. Uh, Robert Morris teaches this at his gateway church is one of the biggest mega churches in, in the country. I mean, this is, and he's doing this, He's, he's a part of the, I don't know formally, but I know he's somewhat connected to the Association of Related Churches, ARC. They're planting, that's the biggest church planting organization in the country right now. And I believe that same model is being passed on. That's scary. That is not the model. You are not Moses. What you are is you're a servant of God and you're called to be a servant of his people. And you're called to be the first to step forward and serve. We, we, you know, we're also concerned about leadership. So, Mm -hmm. so very few are concerned about servanthood. Yeah. But, but the pastor should be the the chief servant of all. That's what. So, I mean, I'm looking for that when I'm looking at a church. I'm looking at the board. Is it independent? I mean, classic example: RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Ravi was not just the president of RZIM; he was the chairman of the board. His Mm -hmm. wife, Margie. Was the vice chairman. His daughter, who then became the CEO, Sarah Davis, was also a board member. I mean, there, that's zero independence. If there are family members on the board, like right now, we just recently incorporated as a not for profit the Roy's Report. We had to write up our own bylaws. That's one of the main things on there. The president, I happen to be the president of the Roy's Report. Um, I can't be the chairman of the board. Somebody else is the chairman of the board, and I'm under the board. So, I have very limited power that way. Um, If the board wants to tell me to do something, you know, I'm one vote among however many. And so I think that's important. We also wrote into the bylaws. There can't be anybody who's related uh, on the board. So you can't stack the board with related members like, you know, John MacArthur did it, Grace to You, where two of his sons were serving on the same board and also Phil Johnson, who was an employee of his. I mean, that's not an independent board. And it's not surprising that most some crazy stuff Most people don't ask these
0: questions, right? I mean, yeah. And then later you're like, but by the way, that, that's why most people don't, I mean, there were a lot of people. I, mean, I was surprised even after everything broke out with the story, like at Harvest and others, like I look at the Mark, Mark Driscoll stuff. I'm listening to the Christianity Today podcast, so many similarities to what happened at Harvest and it shocks yeah. me how many people stay. And even like now Mark has a new church. And again, I don't know the guy from Adam, like I'm not, I'm just saying like, I think it's pre public knowledge that there were some corrupt things in his old church that led to the dismantling of the church. But like, like many people started going to his new church. And now I know he's running into some troubled waters again. But like, it shocks me that people, like, you're asking some great questions, and most Christians just don't. And maybe we don't, I don't know what, why we don't. I think culturally we sort of had the pastor on such a high pedestal that we just assume that these people, like, mm. which is the same reason why, like, when the Ravi Zacharias story broke, no one believed it forever.
1: Well, and we have to remember, hypocrite comes from a Greek word that means actor. Yeah. So they're actors. We have very good actors in the church. And so will we be fooled? And and I think this, uh, Lena, honestly, I think when I talk to victims of spiritual abuse, often the thing that's hardest for them is that they can't figure out, how did I not know? How did I not know? Can I even trust my own gut? Because I thought this was a spiritual leader who wasn't. You know he was a wolf. And I think we need to let ourselves somewhat off the hook because you know, didn't Jesus say there will be tares among mm-hmm. the wheat? We won't know till the harvest. And I think it's it's humbling for us to to admit that we were fooled. But it's also, you know, read the pages of scripture. Um, it, Jesus warned yeah. us. And why did he warn us? Because it would be easy to be fooled. And I think what's been really, really difficult, most recently with a lot of the people who have been exposed is that they weren't prosperity preachers per se, or they right. weren't, you know, the liberals, they weren't, they were in our camp, right. We thought, you know, doctrinally they were all sound. Although I think a lot of them, if you look at their doctrine, and look closely, there were some, some, you know, red flags there, but, but again, that, that didn't set us off. You know, doctrinally, orthodoxy was fine. It was the orthopraxy, the actual, right practice of the Christian faith, where it went wrong. And, and even as I'm talking about some of these things, though, I mean, it all comes down to character. I mean, we can put up the best boards, the best um, the best bylaws and whatever. And if you have wolves in there, people with low character, it's still not going to go right. I, I know Mitch Little, he's um, he was an elder at Bent Tree Fellowship, in Texas, it's a a mega church, and they had to deal with some issues with their pastor and had him resign. And so Mitch has been through a lot of this, but then he also was a lawyer representing a number of the women who were abused by Bill Hybels. And he said, I love this quote, he said, if your leadership lacks the requisite character and experience, no manual will help you. If you have the appropriate level of character and experience, no manual is necessary.
0: Mm, That's so good.
1: It's so good. And I think we need to realize, you know, the number of these organizations, almost all of them that have gone off the rails were members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. They knew the seven standards, you know, that that of good governance and financial practice. They just didn't follow them. And ECFA did a miserable job of enforcing them. But, you know, it really does. It comes down to character. It comes down to leading of the spirit. Um, and, and this is where I just say for folks, I mean... I've done so much reporting. I know a lot of things to look for, but even with that, I know without the Holy Spirit revealing things to me, I wouldn't know them. And so, I, I really do think we have to walk in the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit, and He will lead us in all truth. And we just we need a lot more of that in our churches, and a lot less of marketing principles and church growth and <laughs> all of that stuff.
0: How long do you give a church? Like, uh, want to critique? Um, of your work, some somebody recently said to me, "Well, you know, the institution was working from the, in, you know, already like the church was already trying to get this fixed. Like, like where does a the timing of it like a person? I mean, a lot of people wait to leave. They figure, well, things are going to change. They're told they're going to change. When do you throw in the towel and go, nothing is changing? I mean, clearly it's not a number of months, but like there's a point where it's like, okay, you've had a chance to change." you know, or to restructure or to come clean. And like, is there a point for people who are in systems even now? I mean, I know, you know, mm-hmm. I've gone through leaving a church, but like there, but whether it's a church or, or an institution, at what point do you go, okay, you know what? I don't think anything is changing here. What gives, is that just a leading of the spirit moment? Or is there a process? You know, Matthew 18 is, I think, you know, what people have constantly, re- you know, referred to, but as you have experienced, Matthew 18 can be taken out of context and redefined by, you know, I know James for the longest time would say, well, I practiced Matthew 18, but really the people who are on the other side of Matthew 18 were like, no, actually I wouldn't call that Matthew 18. And on, oh, there are other examples of that, but like, you know, when do you say, okay, this is corrupt enough that I'm done. When do you throw in the towel?
1: Mm. Well, I'm glad you brought up Matthew 18. Cause that's like the, Top bully verse or passage? Yeah, uh, I think every. Summarize abusive, it for our
0: listeners, you know, a little bit if they're not familiar. Sure. So,
1: I mean, Matthew eighteen tells you that if if you if you if you, if you have something against your brother, you first go to your brother one on one. If he doesn't listen to you, then you take two or three others with you, and if he doesn't listen to them, then you bring it to the whole church. Again, the the context of that is a personal offense. We're not talking about yeah. leaders in the church who are sinning or abusing their flock. There, I would say the appropriate verse is 1 Timothy 5.20 that talks about publicly exposing sinning elders so that others may take warning. That would be the appropriate verse there. Um, But people will use that, and especially pastors will use that. And I mean, really, we expect uh, um, someone who was abused as a 15-year-old to go and confront their abuser one-on-one. That's what we expect. Are you serious? Um, Or we expect someone who's on staff like Lena to go to James McDonald and confront him with with all the sins and the things he's doing wrong like look like what's going to happen in that situation that person's going to get and, and and often that person already has been spiritually abused and now it's just going to ramp up and it's going to be even worse I mean that is that is ridiculous we, we do not ask victims to do that and and we should be able to call out publicly I mean it, you know you think of um, John the Baptist, for example, he confronted Herod for marrying his brother's wife. He did that publicly, okay, you could say, well, Herod's not a Christian well, what about Paul confronting Peter publicly for his sin or or jesus and the and the money changers clearing the temple? I mean, there's lots of public confrontations i I, I see in the Bible that God is much less concerned about our reputations than he is about his reputation and what's happening in the church. and so he wants those who are you know basically, conducting spiritual mal- malpractice to be called out, for their sin to be called out. It's all throughout the Old Testament, prophets calling out sin. So I, I, there's there's plenty of precedent for calling out sin. But if you're in a church and you're wondering, boy, is, are they going to deal with this or not? One of the main questions to ask is in everything that's happened so far, has the emphasis been on protecting the sheep or protecting the pastor or an abuser? Because I can tell you at almost every church that I've reported on, all of the effort is about protecting the pastor yeah, or protecting yeah. the image of the church. They, they, I mean, person after person, I, I think the most classic example is <laughs> that video or um, audio of uh, Mark Driscoll, where he talks about the Mars Hill bus and about there being a pile of dead bodies behind the Mar- Mar- Mars Hill bus, but he doesn't care. And there's going to be a pile, pile more. He's proud
0: says. of
1: it, right? He's proud of it, absolutely. It's because the mission's all important, and it's not really the mission; it's Mark. It's right. all important, and it isn't all about Jesus. It's all about Mark. It's what everybody says that was a was an elder there. It wasn't, and and it's happening now. It's still happening at the church. So that that is to me a huge question to ask. But then you also have to look, and Lena, you've talked about this systemic. It's part of the culture. Yeah, most often when there's a toxic leader, the toxic leader, as you know spawns a toxic culture. And so everyone under that leader has been trained in how to conduct business and support this toxic culture. And they become, and this is really sad, like I just did a a, a piece, pieces recently on Bethlehem Baptist Church, it's John Piper's church for over 30 years. I love John Piper. Some of the stuff he said, I totally disagree with, but I mean, yeah. he was huge for me in my twenties. I mean, when I was trying to figure out, should I follow God or not? Will this work out best for me? Reading John Piper changed my life. So I'm, I have nothing against John Piper. Love John Piper. Some of the stuff he said about women staying with abusive husbands is, is breathtaking. But what's happening at his Which church- Which he
0: right, for what it's worth a little bit recently.
1: He, he has, you know, to some degree, but, but what's happening at his church though is that, <laughs> I mean, if you listen to- Um, the three pastors who have left, uh, one has been most vocal, Brian Pickering, but, you know, abuse happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were spiritually abused and that's excused. And it's, 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 you know, apologies are given for it. And, and then what was really sad, I thought was I did, I did this podcast with Natalie Hoffman, who was uh, a wife who had been just emotionally and psychologically abused by her husband for the longest time. And she kept coming to elders. But the thing that was sad to me is Jason Meyer, who was John Piper's successor, um, who to me seems from everything that I've seen, seems like a very godly man. He seems to have a compassionate heart. In fact, he was basically pushed out of the church according to his resignation letter because he was accused of being too compassionate and coddling people too much, which I mean, just process that a little bit. Somebody being pushed out for being too compassionate. Um, you know, but, but there's a church where <laughs> the, I don't know if you've seen that thing on the podcast on empathy is a sin by Joe Rigney, who's the head of, uh, Bethlehem's college and seminary, but it's, that's breathtaking. But, but here's a guy that's who, crazy. I just like, like
0: oh, what it's, think? it's unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. Wait, what? Like, where did the, like, how do you even get past the title?
1: I, I, it's, it's very hard and listening to it. I listened to it when I went on a run and I came back and I said to my husband, Good I feel PR. like I'm going to hurt somebody, you know, I'm so angry. Um, because I, cause I deal with victims all the time and they're talking about how, you know, you can't be like, can't have too much empathy for these victims. You got to stay distant so that you can judge properly. And I'm just like, oh, that's the problem in our church right now. Victims are being believed too much. I mean, I just, it's stunning to me. But the thing that was so sad to me in, in talking to Natalie Hoffman was that um, Jason Meyer had seen this abuse and had said, your husband's unrepentant and, you know, had been, had called a spade a spade, but then because of the culture he was in, this woman then was handed off to other elders and then she was excommunicated from the church because she finally said, I'm not doing this anymore. And she filed for divorce, you know, in an abusive relationship. And, you know, I've got ai I haven't talked to Jason Meyer. He's not talking to the media as far as I know, but I've got to think he looks back and it's like, if if you're a part of a system that is toxic like that, and again, toxic leaders and toxic leadership, toxic elders will foster toxic systems. Then if you stay too long, you're going to become a part yeah. of that system yeah. and you're going to be trained in it. And to the point where it just always kills me when, you know, the the top person is removed, but None of the people beneath them are removed from an organization. They're like, oh, we've dealt with a problem. Well, they haven't dealt with a culture. And the people that remain don't know how to do anything except what they've learned. They don't know what healthy even feels like. They don't know what it looks like. So, you know, if you're asking that question where, you know, should I stay longer? Can it be changed from within? If you're asking that and it's kind of bothering you, you've probably already stayed too long. <laughs> I think
0: that's so and- insightful. I always tell people I should have left six months earlier, and I think it's that. It's like for six months you end up talking yourself out of leaving. And if you're yeah. at that state, you have to wake up one day and go, I think if, that you just hit the nail on the head. I want to finish with this, Julie. How do you stay tenderhearted? What are this? You mentioned spiritual practices earlier. I mean, it's funny. I, I would imagine you know people have accused you of, you know, we talked about being either loved or hated, but like there's a sense people want to make you seem like, oh, she's just angry. She's just bitter. But really, every time I've talked to you, you're you're the opposite of that. You really you mm-hmm. are the opposite of that. And I don't I'm not even talking about like I talk fast. You talk, you know, very you're a beautifully, you know, s- spoken person. I don't even mean that. Like I can sense that you are a tender hearted, sensitive co- to the Lord Christian. Uh, you don't mince words, but you have a softness to your heart. How do you maintain that? when you see all the ugliness around you?
1: I I think one of the chief ends of discipleship is not just that our behavior looks like Christ, but that our desires, our heart, that we feel what God feels. I can say I was motivated in blowing the whistle and beginning to report on this corruption. I was motivated by a brokenheartedness over the state of the church. I mean, how can Jesus look at the state of his church and see what's happened and not weep over it? I think we don't weep enough for what's happening from within. I mean, it kills me that we point our fingers outside of the church and yet we're not dealing with the sin in our own camp. And And our heart isn't breaking for what breaks God's heart. And so to me, walking with Jesus means that my heart will break for what breaks his. And so... That's been core to, to stay connected with Jesus. I, have there been times when I've been extraordinarily angry? Yes. In fact, there have been times when I've been accused of being angry. And I've <laughs> I've looked at people and said, why aren't you angry? Right. There is a time to be angry. God is, has anger, experiences anger. That's all throughout scripture. He's not some sort of, you know, emotionless robot. He has feelings. He, and, and so I, I, I really do think we need to stay connected with Jesus. We need to know there is a difference between Jesus and some of the people who claim to be representatives of his. And we really just need to press into his heart. We need to stay close with him. We need to stay connected with him. We need to come to him with all of our anger. I mean, I'm sure you've done that, Alina. and where you have, there are times when you just pour out your heart to the Lord and you're angry. And, and you need brothers and sisters around you. You really do. Do not give up on other believers. You need those close believers. Um, and I know a lot of people don't have that. And so uh, I would say pursue it. Ask for it. Pray for it. Because um, those other believers in my life, I mean, I've had believers who have said, uh, good friends of mine who have said, Julie, go through the Old Testament and just begin looking at all the times God confronts sin. Mm. And I began doing it. And you know what? What what came out to me was that every single time his heart is that they would repent and he could show them mercy. And that really spoke to me. Um, yes. Should I call these things out? Should we report the truth? Should we? Yes. But we need to remember that God's heart is always for repentance, is always that he might be able to show grace and mercy. And again, if our heart reflects his, that will be our desire as well. That's so good. How can people support you in your work, Julie? How can they reach you also? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, through the website, we have a contact form. You just go to Julie Roy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com or theroysreport.com. That'll send you there as well. Um, and you can just fill out the contact uh, information there, and the, that comes directly to me. Uh, you can also reach me on Facebook. It's at Reach Julie Roys or Twitter, same at Reach Julie Roys. Uh, you can reach me through there, and um, always really happy to connect with people. So, and how can you support me? Please pray for this ministry, pray for me. I know there are people praying for my family, and I've really appreciated that. God has worked in amazing ways the past few years through our family and very grateful for that. Um, and support. I mean, a lot of the reason that a lot of the Christian media doesn't report some of these things is because they're getting their support from major Christian organizations that if they report the truth, that, that support may be pulled. Almost all of my support comes from grassroots, comes from small donors, comes from people who just say, we want this to continue. And so um, I would encourage people, if, if you want this to continue, it continues because you support it. In fact, we've been able to, to add, like I said, I can't report on everything, but I have been able to add a few um, staff people, which has been awesome. So if you want to support it, you just go to julieroys.com. There's a donate button. Click on that. Um, and we just really appreciate those gifts. Can't do, them, do it without them. And um uh, very grateful for how God has faithfully, unbelievably supplied our needs. It's It's been really amazing, actually, the past couple of years.
0: Uh, so I love hearing that. And I, I love what you're doing. And I'm grateful for you, Julie. I, I thank you for this time. This conversation is riveting. Uh, I am hopeful, though. I think uh, I think that uh, the work that's happening right now in our culture gives me hope that God is, like you said, I love that illustration. There's a bowl of wrath. And may God spare us. I think that's a... Uh, call for all of us to look into inside our hearts and just make sure that we're living in a way that doesn't invite his wrath on our life so i I mean I, I just appreciate you and just want you to know that and uh, thanks for coming on today
1: oh, cool. lena back at you i so appreciate you um and your heart and your unflinching commitment to to truth and yet your huge heart for uh, God and his people. I, I love hanging around people like you because you make me love Jesus more. So um, blessings to you and your entire ministry. I'm just thank you. And I'm thrilled about your book. So excited. So excited.
0: Well, guys, tonight we have a chance to be together with community. Remember the Facebook uh, page, the Living with Power Facebook page. We meet live. It's, we're not together in the same room, but sometimes it feels like it. And uh, I'd love for you to come. If you're in that space where you're not in a church right now, maybe you're looking, maybe you're single like me and you just need to connect with others, I invite you to join us. you love it. And I think uh, you'll find it a safe place to just... Uh, be in Christian community and if you want to find out more about my ministry just go to livingwithpower.org and again remember um, Fractured Faith is out and so if any of this content resonated with you then I would really encourage you to get the book it's on all of the booksellers Amazon uh, obviously but uh, just grab a copy and if you can't afford a copy or just don't want to buy it send me an email I'll send you a copy Lena at livingwithpower.org otherwise I'll see you next week guys have a great day